Welcome to the GDL podcast, episode number 10. I'm your host, Kyle Warner. Today we're talking sleep, caffeine, and performance. We have a very special guest with us here to discuss, Major Allison Brager, PhD. She's currently a neuroscientist and sleep expert for the United States Army, as well as a member of the Army Warrior Fitness Team. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy. And if you guys haven't already, please subscribe to our channel. Thanks. Major Brager, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's awesome to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm excited you're here. Um, I, I figured we'd start with your job. You have easily one of the coolest and most unique jobs in the military. So can you take us through your journey um, from becoming a neuroscientist and talk about what role you play in the, the Army's mission today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, I am very grateful and very blessed for what I do. Um, you know, it actually goes back to what somebody once told me in grad school, which is uh, to plan your career around your lifestyle and not your lifestyle around your career. And I feel like I've mastered that. And honestly, like work doesn't feel like work to me, even if I, I work like 60 hours a week, which is you know, pretty normal. Um, it doesn't feel like work because I do what I love. Uh, so I, I always knew I wanted to be a scientist. Uh, I was always fascinated by the brain, mostly because of a family history of um, Alzheimer's and um, various uh, psychiatric issues. And um, so when it came to research, again, just trying to put my uh, passions into practice, I was always interested in exercise, um, how the human body could push itself through really intense training and survival and extreme environments. And, uh, I'm a, I'm a basic nerd. So I, you know, <laughs> I have like biochemical structures, uh, tattooed on my, my forearm. Uh, so I was always interested in like the chemical reactions of that were happening within the brain. Uh, so that's how I got, you know, into neuroscience and got to specialize in sleep research and then also circadian rhythms research, which is looking at like the timing of physiological processes and endocrine systems, which of course feed into exercise, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I've spent most of my career looking at uh, people and um, situations where somebody is resilient or sensitive to conditions of extreme high stress, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's sleep deprivation, uh, I used to do work in, in ultra endurance athletes. Uh, we've done work down in Antarctica um, at the research station there. Uh, and we've looked at genetic underlines of sensitivity and resiliency. Uh, turns out that your genetic DNA blueprint actually has a huge bearing on whether or not you're sensitive or resilient in these situations of high stress, uh, which is a topic for another day, right? Right. <laughs> so, Given those topics, right, it makes perfect sense that the military would be interested in all these things. You want humans who could survive in austere conditions, and you want to select a group of individuals who are very resilient in these situations. Uh, so that's how I became a, a neuroscientist uh, for the Army. Uh, I actually started working uh, for the Army as a civilian. I was there on a uh, fellowship from the National Academies of Sciences. Uh, but I had always wanted to serve. So uh, I was a collegiate athlete, but when I was getting recruited in college for track and field, uh, I was getting recruited by the military academies and West Point was my top choice. But then 9-11 happened when I was a junior mm -hmm. and my parents were like, oh no, you're not going to West Point. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it ended up working out for me. I went to Brown, which, you know, is also a very good school. Mm -hmm. Um but I had always had that aspiration of, of wanting to serve, uh, tried to do OCS with the Marines uh, when I was at Brown, but then I had a, a foot injury from track and field. And back then in the like early 2000s, a foot injury was definitely uh, a no-go for, for joining the service, even if I was, you know, a division one collegiate athlete in track and field, but still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, I, you know, got this job with the army. Uh, I had a really good mentor who was like, Hey, you need to be a great army officer. So he helped facilitate direct commissioning me. Uh, so I came back, you know, nine months later in, in uniform, um, as a scientist, 
I worked at the the storied uh, Walter Reed Army Institute of Research in DC, which, you know, of course is uh, in all in the news today because they were part of um, developing the Moderna COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a lot of the research they do is, is they've developed most of the, the vaccinations that, that exist in the world uh, since, you know, the Institute was formed in the early 1900s. Uh, and then after that, so um, I, I've done CrossFit for 11 years. I've a CrossFit OG. I actually <laughs> started CrossFit through uh, Dan Bailey. So Very cool. uh, Dan Bailey uh, and I grew up together and uh, I was lucky in that I did my graduate work at Kent State. And so I was around that whole community of Dan and Julie Fouché and Lisa Shu and Charlie wow. Dunifer, who are like old school athletes from the Central East back in the day. Yeah. Um, so that's how I got into CrossFit, moved to Atlanta for my fellowship and uh, started training with Emily Bridgers, you know, got my ass kicked every day by <laughs> Emily, but it was all good because uh, I ended up. Uh, competing twice in regionals as an individual. And then uh, I was on a games team twice out of uh, CrossFit Terminus uh, in 13. And then we, our team went to the games again in 15. Um, so, you know, that being said, like I was still doing CrossFit uh, when I was in the army. And then I don't know if like the army gods were listening to my prayers or what, <laughs> but uh, the army decided they were going to form a, a CrossFit team. Um, which we call the Army Warrior Fitness Team. It's comprised of uh, CrossFit and, and strongman competitors. Uh, but now we're expanding into different strength and uh, strength and athletic spaces as well, um, bringing on some Olympic lifters and power lifters. Uh, but yeah, so I tried out for the team, made it, and then that brought me here to Fort Knox, Kentucky. Uh, which is where the Army Warrior Fitness Training Facility is. And so, yeah, I compete um, as a full-time CrossFit athlete on behalf of the Army. And uh, I've been lucky enough to shape a research program, again, around human performance uh, around the team. And actually, uh, we have eSports, too. So both eSports and the Army Warrior Fitness Team are used as recruiting avenues for generation Z because um, you know, especially esports, right? Like that's mm-hmm. all the hype with, with the young kids. Um, and so for obviously me as a neuroscientist, it's a perfect fit, right. To leverage esports um, to help augment cognitive training in soldiers because sure I'm biased, right. Cause I'm a neuroscientist, but I think, <laughs> um, you know, people forget the brain is, can be trained like a muscle and it's obviously like the most important organ of your, of the body. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, that's a lot of what we do is um, trying to, to leverage this so that soldiers can be just better, like athletes all around. Right. So when you think about athletics, it's not just physical, there's the the cognitive piece too. Like having a a very fast reaction time is the difference between making it to the pros or being a division three collegiate athlete. Like, to be honest with you, all sports, right. Hand eye coordination, Mm -hmm. dexterity, um, you know, all of that. So, uh, agility. Um, so yeah, I, I am very lucky in that. I think I finally have mastered the, uh, planning my career around, you know, my lifestyle, but, um, it's been great. Well, I'm so excited to leverage some of your experience here today. I think there's a lot of information out there and a lot of misinformation about sleep and performance. So I'm excited to get uh, to hear what the real deal is. Yeah. Um, And you got me on the perfect day too, right? Because it's the uh, shortest day of the year. And so uh, our sleep is only going to markedly improve from here on out. (laughs) you know, sad, uh, you know, seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I could take credit for the the scheduling, but I can't, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I guess where this started was, so I was an army officer for a couple of years, um, got out, we had my, my daughter, we started a family and then I read why we sleep by Dr. Walker. 
And it scared the hell out of me because I didn't realize how important sleep was to every aspect of my life. So big picture for people who don't understand, and let's not even just talk about athletes, but for everyday people, why is sleep so important? What things does it affect? So sleep, there's no universal function of sleep. It literally affects every single physiological process of your body. So uh, Matt Walker was not joking about that. Um, He actually, my best friend trained in in Matt's lab and um, it's, you know, that's what we've shown over the years as researchers is the, the physical as well as the mental decline that comes with sleep. And it's not so much sleep amount, but sleep quality. So Mm. a lot of these issues arise, not because people aren't getting enough sleep. It's because they're not getting deep restorative sleep, Um, either because they have some underlying sleep disorders, such as sleep apnea, which Mm -hmm. can prevent you from entering the deepest stages of sleep, or they're just not setting them up for a good situation for getting good sleep. Like you know, let's use you as an example, or I can use myself as an example when you're downrange, like you either get the best sleep of your life, like after a mission and you've exhausted your body, you know, in in your mind, or you get really shitty sleep because you're sleeping next to a a flight line. Like I'm, I'm, you know, so um, that lack of quality sleep definitely affects your endocrine system, your gastrointestinal system, um, your cognitive capabilities, the ability of your your brain to clear waste, um, even like your entire body, that you build up these toxins due to the stress of being awake during the day. And all of that is flushed out with quality sleep. So if you're not getting it, you you hold on to that stress essentially. Uh, but yeah, that everything and and uh, why we sleep is very. Uh, realistic. Yeah. It, I mean, one of the things that shocked me too, aside from um, the impacts to you physically and from a cognitive standpoint, was they said even athletes who um, didn't sleep well would have a higher injury rate than athletes that did sleep well. Yeah. So that's actually a lot of it has to do with uh, testosterone levels. Um, so actually the, the team I worked with back at uh, the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, mm-hmm. uh, they just came out with a study where uh, we were um, part of like some um, like night ops uh, training exercises that the, the Rangers were doing. And um, again, showed a direct correlation between lack of good quality sleep and declines and um, testosterone levels. And and that's been shown before in, in army units. It's been shown in young, healthy males. Um, and it makes sense because when you enter the, the deep stages of sleep, which we call uh, stage three, non-rapid eye movement sleep, and then REM, which is rapid eye movement sleep, uh, those are triggers for the release of anabolic processes. Uh, so if you don't enter those stages because of, again, an underlying sleep disorder or you know, you're sleeping in a, a very noisy environment, mm-hmm. um, you'll never release testosterone. Uh, growth hormone, insulin growth factors, all those things that help with anabolic processes um, are are triggered by entering these deep stages of sleep. Wow. Well, I think that's a good bridge. The the next thing I had in my notes to ask you about was the importance of REM and non-REM sleep. Seems like the media loves REM. That's all they talk about. But um, can you just take the audience through what the difference is and why they're both important? Sure. So um, I like to think of non-REM sleep as uh, the act of physical restoration um, Mm -hmm. and REM sleep as the act of mental restoration. Um, I think part of the reason REM sleep gets a lot more respect is because uh, of like the cognitive restoration that happens during REM. Uh, So this is when you, uh, the, the neural connections within your brain are refined and it sort of filters out the unnecessary and keeps the necessary information from things you've learned. Uh, so this is where the, like the skill acquisition and uh, in- memory encoding happens is during REM sleep so that you could effectively recall and retain that information the next day and thereafter. 
Um, I think another reason why REM sleep gets a lot of importance is, um, you know, I love uh, or I appreciate the uh, the hacking that um, Tim Ferriss and a few others have sort of uh, engineered. Um, it, it's because of that multiphasic, that crazy multiphasic sleep schedule, which it is not work for long-term health and longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's why REM sleep gets a lot of, uh, a lot of hype is because of that as well. Uh, so that's REM sleep, mental mm-hmm. restoration, but stage three, non-REM sleep. Again, this is where the anabolic, uh, processes are, 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 you know, happening is, is during that. What are some of the, the common sleep faults that you see with, with folks that you work with? So the, um, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, going to bed at an an early enough time. I think, you know, it's so easy now, especially during COVID, right? Is because, or the pandemic is we've sort of been on this like free running schedule where we go to bed later and we sleep in later and that might work in the beginning in terms of like catching up on like actual sleep loss from years of chronic sleep deprivation. But the thing that happens is the later you delay bedtime, the more you run the risk of not getting good quality sleep. And the reason is because our, our sleep patterns are controlled by these internal biological clocks, Mm -hmm. in addition to changes in the light and dark schedule. So, um, you know, for as much as you try to sleep after the sun rises in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, chances are you're not going to get the best quality sleep possible. You're just going to get, you know, some of the lighter stages of sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why it's important to go to bed early is you can maximize your total sleep time, but you're also maximizing your quality. Uh, mm-hmm. Because at night when we sleep, these pre-programmed clocks, uh, drop our core body temperature and the lower our core body temperature is the greater the likelihood that we're going to be in these deeper restorative stages of sleep. Makes sense. Well, I think sometimes, right. We find ourselves in, in environments where we're going to be sleep deprived to your point in combat or even a a less extreme example, you know, being a new parent, right. You're you're not going to be able to be, on a good um, schedule, quality sleep's probably going to escape you. Are there ways to minimize some of the damage temporarily? Yeah. So these are all strategies that um, the military has effectively developed. Um, you know, since this is a you know a, a, a podcast that it, where your demographic are are uh, uh, dads. Um, I will say that you are at a biological disadvantage when it comes to parenting, because one of the things that happens with moms, right, is there's, it's evolutionary biology, like their biology adapts to the act of having a baby. Mm -hmm. So their, their endocrine system knows that I have to be awake more often and the body will adapt to to that. Um, but you're not going to get that as a dad, right? Because you didn't have the kid. So, uh, (laughs) you, as, as, as a consequence, like, I feel like dads are often more sleep deprived than moms because Mm -hmm. they don't have that physiological compensation. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of moms like hating me and rolling their eyes right now. But you, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I appreciate um, it. <laughs> so one of the things that we have um, sort of pioneered and, and sort of advocated, and it's been very popular recently in the military, is um, aggressive napping. So mm-hmm. relying on that 10, 15-minute opportunity throughout the day to nap, mm-hmm. um, or when you have that opportunity to sleep in and load up on sleep, take advantage of that. So, um, you know, one of the things about sleep and and this is like a cheesy analogy, but it's so true is it's like a check, a checking uh, account or a bank account where the more you take out, the more you have to put back in and the more you put in, the more you can take out. 
So if you're putting more sleep in on the front end, you can take more out on the back end. And we know this from doing like these sleep banking studies, as we call them with soldiers over the years, where if we let individuals load up on sleep, so instead of sleeping a normal eight hours a night, they're sleeping nine and a half hours a night. Um, when you expose these people to, let's say like 24 hour operations where mm-hmm. they're just physically or cognitively active for this whole 40, 50 hours awake, their performance during this time is actually stable. Like they might have little dips in their performance, but because they front loaded their sleep on the, on the front end, mm-hmm. um, their, their like declines in performance with sleep deprivation are almost minimal. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, it's very interesting. I never thought you could front load sleep and, you know, um, but the the naps piece makes sense. In in your opinion, is it a matter of just understanding that that needs to be a priority in whatever circumstance you're in? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, uh, even the military now, like we're embracing napping. It's, it's taking years to get there. We, um, a few years ago, we wrote this um, editorial for uh, a fairly uh, well-regarded medical journal uh, where we challenged the workplace stigma of napping. And it was actually in response to us wanting to get napping pods for our soldiers back in D.C. Mm-hmm. And um, it was not heavily favored by senior military leaders. So we yeah. uh, we took their quotes and uh, anonymously uh, published them with, uh, you know, little excerpts and paragraphs about evidence for why that was like an ignorant uh, response. And, uh, you know, we got our napping pods after that. Uh, So (laughs) I think, you know, people are now embracing the nap and it took, you know, people like Matt Walker to write why we sleep um, and Ariana Huffington to, you know, see these very accomplished, highly successful people, uh, contribute their success to getting good quality sleep. I mean, I'm the same way. I, I mm-hmm. mean, I'm nowhere close to like Ariana Huffington, but like, um, you know, I can, I attribute early on embracing sleep as mm-hmm. to why I've been such a, a successful athlete. And then also like a really good student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, and I, I completely agree. And it, it was hard for me being a combat arms army officer, right? Yep. I grew up with a lot of those old school people where sleep was the last priority of work and it, you know, it didn't matter what was going on. Um, but I think it's the same in like Silicon Valley, right? Yep. If you're a young professional, you know, sleep is kind of seen as you being weak in some cases, but I do feel like with all the literature coming around, people are starting to see the benefits. So it's, it's a really cool thing to watch. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it doesn't help. Like, obviously I'm a, a, a huge um, advocate for uh, this, this space exploration and everything. It doesn't help when you have executives like Elon Musk who, <laughs> who is an anti-sleeper. Right. And, right. you know, part of me believes it's because he is genetically blessed and has a short sleep gene uh, mm-hmm. where he can do that, but 98% of the population doesn't. And so, um, you know, we, we, you have to just it, it remind people based on your own success that, um, why sleep is so important because I, I solved the same issue in the military. Like it, there's so many leaders, uh, that I interface with who, you know, still roll their eyes when here come the scientists trying to <laughs> study their sleep. Um, but we did have some success recently. So um, we helped write the uh, new training manual for the Army, uh, uh, seven, uh, FM 7-22. Mm-hmm. There's a whole chapter, chapter 11, it's devoted to sleep. And um, we put about napping and giving soldiers the opportunity to nap and it, it's taken off in the media. Um, it got a lot of coverage by major media outlets uh, at the level of the Pentagon. Uh, you know, it, it made me very, very happy when the Sergeant Major of the Army um, like called us out, like and praised us for including this aggressive napping in terms of um, helping soldiers be better soldiers. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's all good work. And I'm excited that you guys are going against the grain and, and trusting in the science. Um, I, you know, I think one thing that everyone leans on when it comes to, to lack of sleep is caffeine, right? Yeah. Whether you're a coffee drinker like me or a, a tea drinker, how do we best leverage caffeine day to day? Excellent question. So caffeine is a beautiful drug. Uh, so much so I have the, uh, neurochemical structure denosine, which is the uh, neurochemical caffeine blocks okay. right here on my forearm. <laughs> um, so I've done a lot of caffeine research over the years with my colleagues back at uh, the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research. Um, and ca- caffeine is great. First, it depends on the source. Mm-hmm. So energy drinks are bad. Um, without getting into the specifics, it, they can cause neurotoxicity. Um, and we've done a study to show that two or more energy drinks a day can lead significantly increase your risk for PTSD, depression, and anxiety. Uh, and this is done actually in an entire division of soldiers. So not a brigade, a battalion, an entire division. Okay. Wow. So it's, yeah. it's a legit finding. Um, so there's that element source matters, coffee, it's neuroprotective. It's an antioxidant, you know, as long as you're not adding too much cream or sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can use something like coffee. And if you are spacing it out where you're having no more than, say, like two cups, which is about 200 milligrams every three to four hours, and you're stopping six to eight hours before bedtime, like, there's no harm in, in using that to like sustain and stabilize your performance. Um, and if you aren't a coffee drinker, like it can be a performance enhancer too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so one of the things I do use is um, I don't recommend pre-workout on a daily basis. Uh, we've done studies to show that your body doesn't really respond to caffeine in more than increments of 200 milligrams at a time. Okay. And most, um, most pre-workout drinks have like 500 milligrams. Mm. So, but you could use like a pre-workout if you normally don't take it before you're doing like a really high intensity anabolic workout like Fran. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do it all the time in competition. Like if I know we're doing this workout where I have to go ham for like five or six minutes, I will use it, but mm-hmm. otherwise I won't. Okay. And for, for those who don't know, if I'm going to Starbucks and I want to target 200 milligrams of caffeine, what size coffee am I normally getting? So that would be a a grande because I believe the grande coffee has, um, 180 milligrams of caffeine. Okay. And for our Duncan folks, that's a medium. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Duncan is pretty weak coffee. So it's probably (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Noted. Yeah. Oh, love it. Love it. Um, what's the point of diminishing returns, right? So if you're not getting enough sleep, you're, you're kind of bridging the gap with, with caffeine. Is it a certain number of days? Is it a dosage? Yes. Did you, uh, did you like pre-read some of the studies you've done at Walter Reed or? I listened to the, um, Sigma nutrition podcast. Oh, okay. Yep. So, uh, the point of diminishing returns is three days and that's across the board. So, um, we've done studies over the years, like one of the more commonly adopted protocols we use when we're trying to understand how sleep deprivation affects the human body is, um, it's five, five hours a day for seven days. Mm -hmm. Um, and whether we've done the study or our colleagues have done the study, um, it's the same results. So if we're talking about testosterone, there's a study done 20 years ago. It's been uh, repeated since where three days into sleeping five hours a night, the mm-hmm. testosterone level of healthy males was cut in half to 50%. Uh, and it wasn't until these males got eight hours of sleep again that it resumed to baseline levels. Um, it's the same thing with mental performance as we did a study a few years ago to show that there's this huge decline in mental performance, uh, specifically reaction time. And, um, so like areas of vigilance, attention, and your ability to like, just 
quickly and accurately process simple information. It degrades significantly after three days and no amount of caffeine at that time is able to rescue performance. Um, and in fact, if, if, um, for people who like did well on caffeine with caffeine prior, uh, they did even worse with caffeine, like after the fact. Um, and it wasn't until these individuals got sleep again, eight hours of quality sleep again, that their performance was back to normal baseline levels. Um, so yeah, it only takes three days, which makes you realize, um, you know, I haven't done a full deployment uh, like you, but like, it makes you realize in those nine months of just spinning wheels every day and getting yeah. four or five hours here, especially you as a combat arms officer, you know, like what that did to your, you know, like office, officer skills and the ability to make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So three days, I think is the key takeaway, right? You can bridge the gap for a little bit, but after three days, yeah, to your that's point, all you're spinning takes. your wheels. It's not three weeks, it's three days. Good deal. Well, um, we did have some questions come in from, from our audience uh, before this recording. So I figured, you know, there, yeah. there's quite a few of them. If we could take one to two minutes and, and touch on on most of them. Does, sure. does that work? Yeah. Okay. Um, the first one I really related to, um, how should we look at balancing uh, sleep? and sacrificing it to other value-added activities such as going to the gym or perceived value-added activities? I think that's a tough one, right? Oh, I love that question. So that's actually targeted towards the uh, 5 AMers, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if you are, uh, it goes back to what we were talking about, uh, anabolic uh, processes happening with sleep. So if you're uh, shortchanging your sleep, um, and you're going to the gym and, and doing a lot, or say you're on a strength uh, program mm -hmm. or squatting cycle, why are you doing that? Like why bother doing the squatting cycle when you're not sleeping and you're not going to get anabolic recovery? Like it's, it's a moot point, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I feel when it, it went, if it's in, in regards to performance gains, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the same thing, I think, professionally, too, you know, in your job, like, say you have a very highly cognitively demanding job. Um, if you are sacrificing sleep to do your job better, you're not going to do your job well at all. So um, now if it's just like mundane thing, like I shouldn't say mundane, uh, but it's just like making some time for family. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I understand. Um, and, but there's ways around it too, right? Like you're not going to stay up an extra two hours after bedtime, like maybe make it 30 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. you know, there's a sweet spot with 30 to 45 minutes of, of short changing your sleep, uh, but just make sure that 30 or 45 minutes is super engaging. And, you know, it's not, it's not being wasted, like half at being present with somebody and being on your phone. Mm -hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, next one is how do sleep medications impact your sleep and ability to hit REM? Yes, I love that question. So um, another thing that we've actually gotten rid of, um, you might remember when you were deployed is, did you ever get a prescription of Ambien or Lunessa on the long haul flight over? I didn't, but I know people who did. Yeah. So we stopped doing that because basically you are operating um, as somebody who is legally intoxicated, if not worse, um, taking one of those drugs because they have a really long half-life and they basically knock you into a state of unconsciousness that is not actually restorative sleep. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I feel about most sleep medications. Uh, there are some milder ones you can take. Um, there's this one called Sonata. Um, if you have a long haul flight, I, I will take it sometimes it's uh, it has an hour long half-life. Um, so that's good. If you want to like, you know, catch some shut eye on the plane. Um, and there's a, a new one out there called Belsamra. Um, it acts on a, a very specific uh, neurochemical system of the brain, but there's been mixed reviews about how effective it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't really in, in general advocate for sleep medications. Um, honestly, we, uh, use sleep medications as a last resort. 
there's multiple things you can do, changing your sleep routine. Um, there's this um, therapeutic um, uh, protocol called cognitive behavioral therapy that has been shown to be very effective in changing people's sleep habits. Um, and you can, there are certain natural supplements that you can take, such as um, valerian roots, magnesium, and melatonin as well. Um, what about GABA? Okay. So GABA is, um, if you're taking like an over-the-counter GABA, mm-hmm. um, I advocate for just taking GABA alone. The problem with a lot of these newer age uh, supplements is um, they include everything but the kitchen sink. Right. <laughs> and sleep is a multifaceted process that involves many chemical systems. And so when you're sort of targeting and sprinkling a little bit here and a little bit there, mm-hmm. it it's not going to be overly effective. Um, so I don't see any harm in taking the, just like an, a straight over the counter, like um, nutraceutical GABA. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all what works for you. Like GABA might not work for you. Just like melatonin doesn't work um, for s- some people. Mm-hmm. So, um, but never take, I should say, never take GABA in the form of Amien or Lunesta, again, if it's a last resort. So both of those are um, GABA agonists. It's just, uh, there's there's too much of the agonizing and it's, uh, it can be a recipe for disaster. Okay. And then you said right. v- valerian root. Is there a, yeah, a valerian, dosage? Um, valerian root is, shoot, let me... I want to say it's 300 milligrams. Okay. But hold on. Let me, I don't take valerian root, um, but I mean, whatever's on the label is the, uh, yeah. So it's between, yeah. 450 is the, uh, the dosing I'm seeing online based on, um, one of these, uh, empirical peer reviewed articles. Okay. It's all good. Then the next one um, would be kind of similar to the, the previous question. What's, what's the impact of alcohol on your body and your brain be, before bed? So excellent question. I actually did my um, PhD on the uh, effects of alcohol and cocaine separately on sleep and wake systems. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you are minimizing your alcohol to like one drink or two drinks, um, you know, like two glasses of wine, it shouldn't have a significant impact on your sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything more than two drinks will definitely impact your sleep. Um, what it does is it, you know, you might fall asleep quicker, mm-hmm. but, um, it creates insomnia once the alcohol is metabolized from your body. And then it does interfere with the recovery processes too, like those anabolic recovery processes. Um, I actually didn't realize how much it interferes with them until I started being on the whoop strap. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that like my recovery (laughs) would just tank anytime (laughs) I had like two or more drinks. Um, So, you know, there, there's some truth to that too. Um, I guess if what, what I'm trying to say, and I know this because um, I've spent a lot of years doing research on the impact of um, alcohol and sleep is if you're going to drink, like day drinking is the best, um, you know, <laughs> even if you have more than like two drinks, yeah. uh, by the time you go to bed, like you're probably not going to have many issues. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Um Netflix before bed and I guess blue light in general. Yeah. I've read a lot about it. It it impacts your sleep in a negative way. Uh, Yeah. So it impacts your sleep because it directly stops the release of melatonin, which is so melatonin's um, produced and released by the pineal gland and the pineal gland has a a innervation or connection with the retina. Mm -hmm. And so that light information travels from the retina through a track and interferes with melatonin release. Um, so that's why you shouldn't watch TV or be on your phone or be in the presence of blue light uh, before bed. 
Uh, actually, my, my friend is giving me shit today because I have, you can see right here, I have blue, like LED blue lights on my Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also probably not a good idea, but, uh, you know, <laughs> in spirit, right, right. We're make an exception. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So blue light's bad, but the, the reason Netflix is also bad, or I should say like any high level activity is not good before sleep. Like the, the point of sleeping is to like ease your way into it. That's why there's these breath exercises that exist that people do before bed and why people like just try to put away work and everything is mm -hmm. if you're watching a highly engaging enthralling show on Netflix. It's going to affect your sleep. Mm -hmm. um, even if you have all the filters, right? You have the blue light blocking glasses, you have the filtered screen, it's still going to affect your sleep because of the psychological aspect of it. Okay. Yeah. That was my next question about blue blocking glasses and if how effective they were. I mean, they're effective as long as you're not doing something that's highly engaging, but I think that's the mm -hmm. trade off is like people think, Oh, I'm uh, filtering out the blue light so I can do something highly engaging. No, it's still going to affect your sleep just as right. much, if not more. Okay. Noted. Um, next question is, I live in the North and seem to have issues falling and staying asleep during winter. Is this normal? And if so, how, how can I mitigate this? Yes, it's very normal. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if we, um, like live in modern society or you're, you know, there's still Aboriginal tribes that live um, based on sunrise and sunset schedules. Mm -hmm. uh, seasons affect your sleep and the human uh, physiological systems adapt accordingly, just like they do in other animals. Um, one way to mitigate it is actually uh, blue light exposure. So uh, especially people who find themselves to be very sensitive to uh, darkness during the day, uh, I know I'm one of those people. I, I, you know, did most of my schooling up in the Northeast where, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> it literally, it would, I would go to track practice at mm -hmm. three and it was already dark outside. Oh, yeah. Uh, cause you know, up in like Boston and, and up in the Northeast, it can start very early. Right. Um, and then the sun would rise at like 10. Uh, but you could use blue light like in the morning because blue light is very wake promoting. Uh, there's a reason why those new um, technologically advanced lighting systems that are being installed in every uh, corporate industry building, except the military, you know, the military, we love our uh, poorly lit uh, <laughs> tactical operating cells and just really the shittiest light quality you could ever possibly have. Right. 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 <laughs> they don't, they don't, they haven't listened to us yet in that regard. Uh, right. we're, we're working on it though. Yep. Give them um, some time. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, light matters. Uh, blue light is great during the day. And to address the question with um, waking up in the middle of the night, um, you know, this might be a good time to use some of those, um, you know, nutraceutical uh, sleep supplements. Um, actually, even beyond that, like I actually just started experimenting with a, a weighted blanket. Um, I have a friend, he started a, a, well, it's a recovery company. It's called Rooster. Um, they create these like ergonomic pillows to sort of position yourself and in, in a good place uh, for when you're sleeping. Um, and so now actually here's his weighted blanket right here. Okay. Um, you know, I think that's been a new thing. There's something about like the somatosensory um, nature of having this weighted blanket on you that like somehow coaxes you into like sleeping better. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same thing with sound machines too. So I used to think sound machines were a gimmick. And then um, there was a study that came out in a very prestigious scientific journal by a very prestigious university um, mm -hmm. showing how specific sound waves can um, activate one of the, the, um, the system's responsible for maintaining sleep at night. And so um, sound machines work as well. Wow. Well, what about something like vitamin D? Okay. So vitamin D, 
I'm not sure why it became a thing with sleep per se, but vitamin D, as we know, especially in the era of COVID is great for immune health, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about it from that perspective, um, if your immune system is great, you're going to sleep great. If you have a cold or, you know, like one of the worst things about being sick is you can't sleep. Like, Mm -hmm. and even when you are sleeping and you're like very groggy and it's just, it's not good restorative sleep. Um, so that's where I feel like the relationship with vitamin D exists. Um, it's not directly like triggering your, your sleep system per se. Okay. It's a like indirect relationship. Okay. And then, um, the, the rooster, um, company, your friend's company, we can link to that in the notes if, if folks are interested as well. Oh yeah, for sure. I think it's, uh, he has an Instagram page. Let me get it for you. It's, um, yeah, he actually, he's done, he, he's done a wonderful job just sort of, um, you know, he's consulted with me and a few other friends and just like immersing himself in the literature. Um, yes, it's called Rooster Recovery. So they're on Instagram. It's rooster.recovery. Um, and this is sort of um, uh, their, their new venture is looking at like sleep promoting products. So, okay. Yeah. Very good. Um, I'll make sure that gets in the notes there. The next question is, um, I find myself getting up to pee in the middle of the night. Is this a major interruption to my ability to sleep and recover? And if so, should I somewhat dehydrate myself before bed? Oh, we get that question all the time. Um, so it's okay if you're waking up in the middle of the night to go pee. Um, the issue people have is they turn on the light. So as we just talked about turning on the light is a bad thing. And that's Mm -hmm. why people can't get back to sleep because it doesn't matter if the light is on for 10 seconds or two hours. It has the same effect on how the body responds to that. Like I know this because this is what I used to do all the time when Mm -hmm. I was a PhD student is like we would blast animal models with like short pulses of light and just watch their physiology be like completely unraveled by it. Wow. Um, so that's probably where this issue is. I think like you should be hydrating before bed because you're spending eight not hours not drinking and your body when you sleep does release um, antidiuretic hormone to prevent you from waking up in the middle of the night, but it's inevitable. Like you're going to mm-hmm. wake up, especially if you hydrate for, you know, properly. Okay. Makes sense. And then the last question, do, do you have any experience with lucid dreams, what they are yes. and how they differ from other dreams? Yes, I actually, um, I feel like I either you either use it or lose it. So about 5% of the population can lose a dream. Okay. Um, I 5% consistently me, I'm more like inconsistent. Um, so there's, um, in these individuals, it's, uh, it's genetically, um, regulated in sort. There's uh, something about like having a naturally occurring mutation of one of the serotonin receptors in the brain that makes some people able to lucid dream, um, which makes sense because uh, people who take hallucinogens, which are like saturate the serotonin system, mm-hmm. um, lucid dreaming is, is very common when, you know, people are using uh, psilocybin and um, LSD and all those things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing unless you're having like these traumatic experiences. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of envious of people who can lose the dream consistently. <laughs> I had never heard of it until uh, I got the question. So, Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like it, cause usually the dreams are like incredibly vivid too. Yeah. Okay. Well that does it for our questions. Um, if folks want to get a hold of you or any content that you've been featured in, where, where should they go? So uh, two places. First, I do I do have a um, popular science book. I wrote it after um, we went to the games uh, the first time uh, in 2000, 
2013. It's called Meathead Unraveling the Athletic Brain. Okay. Um, and it's uh, you can buy it on Amazon or I think it's in the Barnes and Noble bookstore too. Uh, but it sort of debunks this myth of the dumb jock. So it talks about like all these amazing plastic changes that happen to the brain with exercise and sort of um, dives into the literature in terms of like what separates an elite athlete from an amateur in terms of, uh, I'm not talking to like psychological mindset. I'm talking like actual neuroanatomical and like physiological changes that you can identify as somebody as elite or not elite. Um, okay. And then it's also like the second half is more of this like performance recovery manual in terms of like, I have a whole chapter devoted to sleep and jet lag and how to combat it. Um, and then the last chapter talks a lot about like using like legal uh, stimulants and like, um, you know, sleep recovery promoting um, drugs in order to augment performance. So that's, you know, that's my book, Meathead. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram. Um, I do post a lot of, you know, like scientifically relevant posts. Um, it's at DocJock, Z-Z-Z. So D-O-C-J-O-C-K-Z-Z-Z. And um, yeah, I mean, you can also ask me a question there. I'm, I'm pretty active on uh, Instagram, especially with my current army job. That's a huge part of it. <laughs> is uh we're on social media it's a blessing and it's a curse because i have like the highest levels of uh you know not that i like have anything inflammatory on my social media but like i have a two-star general who like our commanding general like watches my Follows instagram you. story yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean so right. it's like Right. To be careful when I post my stories too. Right. It's like when your mom and dad follow you on the Instagram. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, in recent months, I've had to try my best to stay apolitical and all that stuff. So, yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Well, I will link to your book and your Instagram page in the notes so, you know, people have an easy time finding you. Well, good stuff. <clears throat> Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and sharing your expertise. You know, I know I'm better for it. Lots of other people will as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, anytime. And, you know, maybe uh, if I if I don't deploy here in the next few weeks, hang out next time I'm in Chicago. So, yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Yeah. So if it does happen, good luck on your upcoming deployment as well. Thank you. Yes. It's my, my way to escape the, uh, <laughs> let's become normal now in 2020 and 2021. There you go. <laughs> All right, Major Brager. Thank you. Thank you.